Welcome to the Pitbox Podcast, the first ever. Uh, my name is John Satori, and we're here to chat Formula One, reviewing races, previewing others, and we're also going to take a look at any news and dramas that are front and centre in the sport. You're going to hear opinions as well. Some you may not agree with, and that's okay. Everyone has their own opinion, and we don't have to agree on everything. That's what makes the world more interesting after all. This episode, a quick review of the last round, round six in Spain, and a preview of this weekend's Belgian Grand Prix. And also, the curious case of Sebastian Vettel. He's the man who's got closer than anybody else to toppling Lewis Hamilton since 2016. He now finds himself without a drive so far for 2021. And the outlook isn't good. So I thought I'd start off with a little bit of background of myself, just to add a little bit of context. I started working in Formula One with Williams in 2001. My first ever race actually was Melbourne of that year. I've since worked with teams like McLaren, BMW, Sauber, Jaguar back in the day, Renault, and, and also major team sponsors. Uh, my role is to produce live shows for VIP guests in Paddock Club, which I still currently do or would do if it wasn't for COVID. And that entails both commentary of every session, so a bespoke commentary for the team or the company that I'm involved with, uh, as well as explaining to guests via my F1 Explained segments live on stage. So they're like a little bit more about the sport. We talk tactics, we look at technical things, um, we go all the way back to basics, depending on the crowd's level of knowledge, of course. So it's all sort of part of a live F1 show. And as I say, I've been doing that for 19 years, and that's over 250 Grand Prix attended. Uh, some great stories and experiences along the way, which I might delve into in the future. Um, and also, just prior to F1, I was in radio, and uh, that was in Australia, both presenting and producing shows. So broadcasting is in my DNA. And being the youngest of five, I learned early that to be a part of a conversation in our house, you had to shout to be heard, and I'm still shouting. So there we go, a little bit about me and where I've come from for context. So let's uh, take a look at Spain two weeks ago now, or thereabouts, and it was another very, very dominant win for Lewis Hamilton, wasn't it? Uh, in the zone, uh, never headed for 66 laps. It was a perfect execution, and, and not just from Lewis, but from the Mercedes team, the strategy uh, team that are involved. They, uh, the interesting thing, I, I, the first thing I commented about, and I do a live stream show at the moment, uh, the first thing after um, the uh, the podium ceremony, I said to my co-host, I said, Lewis almost didn't seem to be quite there. You know, it was almost like he'd taken a knock to the head. He was still so much in the zone. It, it's, he, it was amazing how um, mentally focused he still was when he jumped out of the car. And he sort of admitted that pretty much to, um, uh, to Martin Brundle as well. And it was, it's, I don't think there's much more you can say about it. It was the masterclass of masterclasses from Hamilton and Mercedes. Uh, so there's, as I say, not much more we can really say about that. Um, it's best to just continue moving on. Let's take a look at how uh, the results panned out for everybody else. Verstappen, uh, he ended up second, and it was, I think he pretty much realised it was the best that he was going to be uh, able to do in, this, in, in the circumstances. He, he, it's interesting, listening to the radio transmissions between himself and his pit wall, uh, he looks to have taken on a few more hats, hasn't he? Strategy advisor, team principal, um, you know, all those conversations that he was having, you know, we need to focus on what we need to do, let's keep our head down, etc. It's normally information that flows from the pit wall to the driver. But uh, Verstappen, at the young age, what he's still in his early 20s, um, was sending that back to his back to his pit wall. 
uh, he is like they. You know, you always hear the terms potential world champions, and I mean, it's it's more than potential with Ham uh, with uh, with Verstappen, isn't it? It's just a matter of time. It really is. Um, a fantastic driver, and I'm glad to see that he's actually got all that um, uh, that bad. Not let's say not say bad, but the way he used to drive and the way he used to defend, I was not a huge fan of it. He'd move in the braking zone, and it caused a lot of people a bit of grief. And thankfully, he's got that out. What he does do very well is he gets his elbows out, and I don't think anybody gets their elbows out as well as Max Verstappen. And again, it was a very well-deserved second place from him. Again, probably the best that he could really do in the circumstances, particularly when you've got the other Red Bulls so far away. And we'll talk about strategy within teams a little bit later on. Um, But uh, disappointment for Bottas. You could see he was really mentally blown, wasn't he? Um, He understands his title challenge is fading. Um, You know, in qualifying, it was only six tenths of a... Sorry, six hundredths of a second that denied him pole position. And he put in a great lap in qualifying on the Saturday. Surely thought, that's enough. When you're up against Lewis Hamilton, it never is, is it? Six hundredths of a second. And, you know, it's got to be tough mentally. He's he's now thinking, right, uh, my challenge for this year, it's um, a long shot now. And I've just signed up for another year. So I'm back in the same position I was last year where my title challenge was fading and I'm thinking how can I get myself set up for next year to take on Lewis Hamilton when he's probably been having those exact thoughts at round about the exact same time every year for the past three it's it's got to be mentally um you know a challenge for him at the very least um but uh you know the the, the option for him is well where do I go am I better to be at uh, Mercedes where I've got the best chance should Hamilton stumble should I be able to, you know, do what I need to do and 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 get ahead of Hamilton and be better than him. He's better be, you know, he's in the best position to do that at Merck. But it's just so, I suppose, um, challenging and and um, disconcerting for him to think that for every time he thinks he's done what he needs to do to to get there to beat Hamilton, and it's just not enough. Anyway, I do feel for poor old Valtteri. Uh, but let's move on. Good result for both of the uh, racing points. Uh, Lance Stroll. He put, in, he put doubters, including myself, um, he gave us uh, really something to think about, didn't he? A, a very strong fourth place for Lance Stroll. And of course, the reason being that we're talking about this is that uh, who is going to be driving the Racing Point slash Aston Martin in 2021? There's still that conversation that we'll have later on about Sebastian Vettel now that he's without a drive. But Lance Stroll did himself uh, no harm at all by laying down that marker and pretty much being the best of the rest with a strong fourth position. And, of course, it was ahead of his teammate too, Checo, although Checo just returned from two weeks away from the sport because of his COVID-positive test. It seemed a little bit rusty and because he, he won't like losing to Stroll either, considering the circumstances, although he was um, quite uh, certain, wasn't he, late last week, saying that I'm not going anywhere as far as the 2021 seat at Racing Point slash Aston Martin is concerned. So that's uh, still something that's going to play out. And as I say, we'll talk about that whole Sebastian Vettel situation a little later on. Uh, Finally, some luck for Carlos Sainz. 
sixth position, no pit stop issues. Um, you know, he's had tra- traffic that he had to deal with in the pit lane at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Then last uh, round before that, in round, round five, the anniversary Grand Prix, he got uh, a problem with a, um, a wheel gun that didn't send the signal to the traffic light system, and that delayed his uh, return into the pit lane, so that lost him positions. But he finally got some luck. It was a good strong race, solid race for Carlos Sainz, so good sixth position for him. And also, talking of good results, a man who'll be relatively happy is Sebastian Vettel, seventh finally in the Ferrari, best race so far. Coming from outside the top 10, of course, the interesting thing was the radio chats. Uh, it just points to a very broken relationship at the moment, doesn't it, between Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari. Uh, and I, I felt for him in qualifying, too, on Saturday. He missed out by two one-thousandths of a second uh, in, to get into Q3. I think it was uh, Lando Norris who just pipped him in uh, the at the end of the Q2 session to get into the top 10. But he did really well. He uh, kept his head down. He was asking, right, what are we doing strategy-wise? This was with this, this was these uh, conversations he was having over the team radio that that uh, were showing that things aren't great between himself and the and the team. Um, and uh, they just, uh, you know, I feel sorry for him. You don't, you know, four-time world champion, and he doesn't even get offered a contract. I, I just don't think that's the way you treat a four-time world champion or any incumbent driver. It's um, and and but. Again, we'll get into this later, I suppose. I'm not going to um, uh, wind myself up as yet. We'll talk more about the whole Sebastian Vettel situation and uh, why he's in that and my take on why he's in that a little bit later on. So let's continue rolling on. Uh, Eighth was Albon. Concerning, I think, not just for the race, qualifying as well. He was six-tenths of a second off the pace of Max Verstappen. Yep, it's Max Verstappen, no doubt. And you've got to be excellent to beat Max Verstappen. But there's a big gap there, isn't there, between Albon and Verstappen, not just in race terms, but in qualifying. He hasn't got to grips with that um, that Red Bulls yet. They have changed his race engineer, so the more experienced Simon Rennie, who used to be Daniel Ricciardo's old race engineer, has stepped in. But it just doesn't seem to be making any difference. He can't get his head around that. And you get to the point where you think, I don't think it's going to happen this year for, for Alex Albon. He Once... A, a team finds a direction to go with regards to setting up the car and 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 um, and the good balance. They'll continue down that direction, and that's what Max has got. And if it's not a direction that suits your driving style, then you can be in the situation that Alexander Albon is uh, is in at the moment, and that is that you're trying to drive a car that doesn't really suit you, and he's trying to adjust to try and get something out of it. Um, this is almost um, a carbon copy of what happened to Gasly last year. So, uh, and, and interestingly enough, he was ninth. It was a good drive from Gasly. He's driving the wheels off that Alfa Tori at the moment, isn't he? And, and the question is, would Red Bull dare promote him? You know, what happened last year? It's tough for young drivers for that to happen mid-season, but he's rebounded fantastically, hasn't he, Gasly? He's a better driver for it. I know it's a cliche, but he is. He's certainly doing a better job. And he, he did a better job towards the end of last year as well. It was a kick in the tail that he needed. Not that I don't think it was, there was any lack of motivation. When I say that, it was more just not coming to grips with what he had to do. And maybe the situation was, you know, he was overawed by it. And don't forget, they weren't expecting Ricardo to leave at the beginning of 2019. They weren't ready to have one of their junior drivers. Alexander Albon was obviously in another series. They had to get him across to jump into the uh, Toro Rosso as it was last year because Gasly had been promoted after just one year in the Toro Rosso. So they had junior drivers. And Daniel Kvyat, I think, I thought he might have been ready to be the senior Red Bull driver, but so far this year, he's been outperformed by Albon. So uh, I think Helmut Marco was saying that uh, last weekend or late last week that he's, um, Kvyat's not in danger, but he needs to do better. 
Well, if Dr. Helmut Marko is saying that about you, you need to get your act together. And it could be a dire times for Kvyat in 2021. We'll have to wait and see. But I don't... The thing is that with Red Bull, what do you do? Do you... You've got a young driver program and there's no point in having a young driver program and two teams to bring those young drivers through and then not use them. The problem that I think Red Bull have got is that I mean, this year, probably less so because there's no real challenge for them in second. Last year, it was Ferrari and Red Bull who were challenging for second. And Ferrari, luckily for Red Bull, didn't have two drivers who were getting along very well and weren't maximizing um, team points, if you like. And that's what's happening this year with Red Bull. And they're lucky that they haven't got anybody challenging them for second because you need your, your teammate to be getting as many points as well. And that's what Red Bull aren't getting at the moment. As I say, it doesn't make too much difference this year because there's no competition for second. But if there was, they'd be in trouble. They'd be struggling to keep a hold of second if Ferrari or anybody else had sort of upped their game enough to be competing with them. And when you get into that position, it's be. I mean, I think Red Bull are in that position because these young drivers aren't quite ready to come through. So do you put someone like Nico Hülkenberg into that seat? I don't think he's going to be uh, mentally fragile enough to be um, upset by what happens and what Max Verstappen is able to do, even if Verstappen does outperform him. But Hulkenberg tried, tested. Okay, he's got one of the most enviable records in F1, more race starts than anybody else, and without a podium. But as he showed when he jumped into that racing point uh, the last couple of weekends before Spain, uh, he he's still a quick driver. He's experienced. He's 10 years in the sport. And... I don't think it's a bad idea to put someone into a seat alongside Max Verstappen, into that seat. But, you know, what do you have your junior driver program for? That's, I suppose, what they're wrestling with. And they'll get a lot of criticism should they parachute someone else from outside of Red Bull into that seat. But as I say, next year, they've got to look ahead to that because if someone else gets their act together and starts to challenge Red Bull for second, they need both cars scoring good points. And at the moment, they've only got one car doing it, and that's Max Verstappen. Anyway, let's get off the whole Red Bull Alpha Tori thing. Uh, Lando Norris, so-so race by his standard. Uh, no last lap overtake. He's slipping, isn't he? Uh, no, it just didn't get off the line well and got swamped by everybody else and uh, difficult to overtake. He had some really good battles. In fact, I think the McLarens were probably involved in the best battles that we saw uh, on the footage or in the broadcast, weren't they? It was um, Leclerc and Vettel and Albon who were battling with the uh, with the McLarens. So I think they provided the best uh, overtakes and battles that we saw throughout that whole race because it, it wasn't the most spectacular of races, let's be very honest. Um, and Ricardo, quality effort... Uh uh, quality effort was it was not great, was it? They went backwards from where they were the weekend before in Silverstone. He ended up 11th. In fact, uh, him and Ocon, they'll be hoping that Spa brings better fortune. And that's a low downforce, high-speed circuit. So I think it should going on their uh, record or their pace and what they're able to do at, the, uh, at Silverstone, which is, again, a high-speed, low-downforce circuit. And what's been a great surprise, a pleasant surprise this year, hasn't it been with Renault and their reliability? That has been an absolute eye-opener. You look at McLaren, and apart from, okay, they finally changed Carlos Sainz's engine uh, last weekend, uh, sorry, two weekends ago, rather, uh, for the Spanish Grand Prix, and, and he seemed to be a lot happier with that. There were some cooling issues, and they were having to open up bodywork to try and solve that, which, of course, cost him time. It made the car drag you. But their reliability this year, Renault, has been very, very good. 
Uh, so as I say, they'll be hoping for a, a better spa. And of the others uh, outside uh, the top 10, great quality for Raikkonen, his best of the year. And of course, he uh, ended up 14th. So he started where he finished. So uh, there we go. A quick wrap of Spain and who were the sort of, if you like, the winners and losers that we saw for the Spanish Grand Prix weekend. So let's take a look at uh, Sebastian Vettel. We were talking about this uh, right at the top of the show. Um, and what is he going to get up to in 2021? And as you know, he doesn't have a contract with Ferrari. One wasn't even tabled. That's a fair old slap in the face, isn't it? Um, four-time world champion. And yeah, you know, he must have realized the writing was a bit on the wall when a five-year contract was offered to Charles Leclerc. Okay, there's your future. And where do I fit into that? But the thing is, that, is this all his own fault? And I suppose that's what I want to tease out here. Is this all the fault of Sebastian Vettel? Let's take a look back to 2018. Sebastian Vettel had a car, and of course this was prior to Ferrari having um, uh, been wheel, uh, reeled in by the FIA about whatever that was going on with their engine. And you know they had great straight line speed. They had the best engine. Uh, power-wise, high downforce. Uh, sorry, uh, low downforce, high-speed circuits. Uh, they were they were hammering Mercedes in relative terms. They were hammering Mercedes. Um, he had the best car. He had the best opportunity of anybody since 2016 and Nico Rosberg to topple uh, Lewis Hamilton. He was leading the championship in 2018, and then it all went wrong. Where did it start to go wrong? Well, German Grand Prix crashed out in the lead. You get to hear, if you've ever seen that, the disappointment, the resignation in his voice when he said, sorry guys. He knew, wow, that was a big, big mistake. You don't expect four-time world champions to make those sort of mistakes. Then you look to France, and I may not have these in um, chronological order, but first lap, first corner, takes on Bottas, Bingo. That then affects his race in a huge way. Doesn't get the result he really should have. Tangled with Verstappen in Japan. Again, didn't need to. Just needed to give it a little bit of time and he'd get past Verstappen. Just be patient. I think even Verstappen may have even said that from memory. Um, I, I could be wrong. That There might have been radio transmission at that point where Verstappen said, look, why, wasn't he, why can't he just be a bit more patient and he would have got past me anyway? Why did he have to try there? And then... Lap one, Monza in 2018, taking on Hamilton. And again, high-speed circuit. This is going to suit Ferrari. He just needs to be, be a bit more patient. You expect a four-time world champion to have that sort of patience. And he didn't. So, you know, that, that year, Hamilton had 11 wins. Vettel had five wins. And as I say, first third of the season, I think he, he led at, within the first third of the season in the Drivers' Championship. All he had to do was be patient to get it home. You know, by Spa, there was 17 points difference with eight races to go. But the, pro- the problem that, and it, you know, the question I suppose I'm going to ask you is, is it all Sebastian's fault? The problem he had is that he didn't get any support from the second Ferrari. That seriously hindered Ferrari's and Vettel's chances of beating Mercedes that year, whether we're talking Drivers' Championship or we're talking Constructors' Championship. Because Ferrari only ever had one man in the fight. 
That was Sebastian Vettel. Kimi Raikkonen. Love Kimi. Whoa, fantastic. I mean, it's going to be a sorry, and I think it's going to happen at the end of this year when we say goodbye to Kimi Raikkonen. But 2018, he wasn't in the same ballpark speed-wise, whether you're talking racecraft, how he the results he got in the race and, and, and how he did qualifying, how well he did in qualifying. He wasn't in the same ballpark as Sebastian Vettel. And considering that that was easily the second best car on the grid, Raikkonen should have got more out of it. And he should have been doing what Bottas was doing to assist Lewis Hamilton. So Bottas, if you don't already know, is always pretty much always used uh, to undercut whoever is the greatest threat to Lewis Hamilton. And more often than not, Hamilton is the man who's not only won qualifying, and of course in the Mercedes garage, if you win qualifying on Saturday, you get first option on the strategy call on Sunday. Even if your teammate is leading the race, it doesn't make any difference. We learnt that at the Russian Grand Prix in 2019, when Bottas had to basically take their second-choice strategy to Lewis Hamilton and ended up, well, you know the result. Uh, And everybody was thinking, Bottas is going to be absolutely wild about this. And he revealed it and said, look, no. You know, if you get the pole, pole position on the Saturday, you get first call on the strategy on Sunday, even if the other guy's winning the race. And that's what happened. And, of course, that Russian Grand Prix was so telltale. We'll talk about that in a moment as well, because of what happened with Sebastian Vettel. But what uh, Mercedes do is that they use Bottas to undercut whoever, or potentially undercut whoever is the greatest threat to Lewis Hamilton or to, you know, Hamilton is often leading the race. So that, whether that's Verstappen or whether in 2018, more often than not, it was Vettel. But what Vettel needed was his rear gunner, if you like, Kimi Raikkonen, doing the same to Valtteri Bottas. Because often you did find in 2018, it was Hamilton leading. You had Vettel in second, Bottas in third. But then you had either Verstappen or Ricardo, And then in down in six, you had the other Ferrari. So it wasn't in touch. It wasn't able to affect any sort of assistance to the lead Ferrari. So what Mercedes were able to do was say, right, well, we're going to potentially, um, you know, sacrifice, if you like, Valtteri Bottas in third by undercutting and making sure that we can get Vettel off Hamilton's tail because Vettel won't want to lose second, and if he doesn't react to the undercut, he could potentially do that. So they pit Bottas earlier than they really should have. That eventually gives Ferrari a few laps to decide whether or not they're going to react to that undercut. If they don't, they know that they're going to probably lose second. So they they, they react to the undercut, and of course that leads Hamilton to to go about his um you know his preferred strategy. And there's no defence for that lead Ferrari. That was also a big problem in 2018. So I sort of put a little bit of the blame of what happened in 2018 onto Kimi Raikkonen's shoulders and therefore also management shoulders. Why is he there if he's not doing the gig? And of course he did. He got, you know, moved on to Alfa Romeo in 2019. But if he's not doing the right, you know, if he's not doing, getting the results that he should ha- he should be in a car that is the second fastest car on the grid, then he should have been moved on. It's just a shame that, as I say, I love Kimmy. I think he's great. And it's going to be a sad day towards the end of this year, particularly when there's no crowds around, although he'd be quite happy because he's such a, you know, such a quiet and hates the spotlight sort of guy. But he, Ferrari, I think it was a mistake that Ferrari took on Kimi Raikkonen um, as the second driver to, um, uh, to Sebastian Vettel. But anyway, that's, you know, my take on that. And the, sorry, and let's look, Look at 2019, and again, let's get back to the issue with Sebastian Vettel and when did everything sort of go pear-shaped for him. And I look at Russian Grand Prix, the first one. Now, remember, there was a deal in the Ferrari garage that whoever got pole position, if 
uh, you know, the, the, sorry, the deal was that because Leclerc got pole position and and Vettel, and Vettel was in in third, he could get the slipstream through a very slight right-hander of turn one, which is uh, which is what it is at Russia, and that eventually, once the race settled down, that um, the lead Ferrari, which was Leclerc, because he had obviously uh, sorry he wasn't the lead Ferrari in the race at that point, but he um, he got pole position the day before. He was supposed to give. That uh, Vettel was supposed to give that position back because Vettel got the advantage of the slipstream from Vettel through the very slight right-hander of turn one at Russia and um, into turn two. And of course, what did Vettel do? Was that he pushed his car, he pushed the tires, he was you know setting times that he really should. he made the gap between himself and and um, and what was uh, Leclerc in second. I think it was Leclerc in second at that point. But either way, what he did was he extended the gap so much that he was able to call into question whether or not he should give the position back because if he did, then it would mean that Hamilton would beat him into P2, that he would sort of like lose position to Hamilton and then not be at best P2, if not, you know, even worse. And so he didn't. And he kept on saying, no, Charles has got to, uh, you know, close the gap, close that, that gap down. I think it was at that point they were one, two. And, you know, Leclerc, you could hear on his team radio during that Grand Prix saying, what's he doing? He's too far ahead. He's pushing his tires too much. You know, what's going on? And so, you know, it was quite clever, I thought, of Sebastian Vettel, but it wasn't team, was it? And then you look at Singapore. He started third. First stop, undercut Leclerc. Now, you know, he wasn't aware that Vettel had pitted, but in the end, that worked out very well for Sebastian Vettel, they were supposed to swap back. That was going to happen. And the team covered it up. So later on, they sort of smoothed that over. Sorry, I shouldn't say covered it up. They smoothed that over. But again, Leclerc would have been taking notes, thinking that's the second time. Then Brazil. And if that wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back, I don't know what was. For mine, that was Vettel's fault. You know, crashed into his teammate. And, you know, you don't do that. But there's not much more Leclerc could have done. And... I think at that point, Ferrari realised we don't have teammates here. We haven't got two teammates that are working together. And I think Vettel and Leclerc got on fine. or get on fine outside the car. I mean, Sebastian, I think he seems to be such a lovely guy, good sense of humour. Um, but inside the car, he's an absolute demon and he just doesn't doesn't give anything up, which is great in a way. You want a driver to, to be that, don't you? But not to that point. Not to the point where, you know, it's to the degradation of the team, to the... Um, uh, to, 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 to the disadvantage of the team. And so I think that's the reason they cut him free. So, uh, you know, the question at the at the top of this was, is Vettel sort of responsible for his own downfall here? I'd, I'd say, yeah. And it's not because of the results. And it's not because of the results he didn't get. It's because of how he went about that. So let's take a look at this weekend's Belgian Grand Prix. It is round seven of the FIA Formula One World Championship. Also, the longest circuit on the calendar, just over 7Ks, 4.3 miles, and one of the most popular with the drivers as well, particularly because of Eau Rouge, which can now be taken pretty much flat. But also, the rundown to turn one always provides a great spectacle, and it's certainly an action zone. Um, you look back a couple of years ago when Fernando Alonso got punted over the top. I think it was of uh, Leclerc's Sauber, was it? Uh, that was by um, Hulkenberg, who outbraked himself. And then go back further where Grosjean got 
a uh, one race suspension for his little uh, uh, late uh, in down the inside dive that uh, caused a fair bit of carnage on the first corner. And, and then, of course, you go back to the late 90s in the wet when Murray Walker was still commentating and the likes of David Coulthard and uh, those, you know, Mika Hakkinen and, and all those sort of guys were still driving. And uh, the carnage that they had, that was actually just after Turn 1. But it, it always provides a great spectacle, Turn 1, down at uh, Spa. So expect uh, nothing less again this weekend. And it's a real challenge for the drivers and, and also engineers, and this year even more so because they've got uh, a different compounds of tyres to be dealing with. They've gone a step softer with the tyres this year. Last year, they had the hardest three in the, in the range from Pirelli, the C1, C2 and C3. But this weekend, they've gone for the C2, C3 and C4. So uh, last year's medium is the hard, last year's um, soft is the medium. And, of course, we've got the new red soft compound, compound which is the C4. And, and considering this is a circuit where you get a lot of tyre stress uh, and a lot of lateral load on those tyres because it's a high-speed, low-downforce circuit, it's really going to put these tyres through a very, very big test. And the other interesting thing you've got to remember for this year because of what's happened with COVID is the choice of tyres and the allocation has been made. So they will all have the same allocation. It's all standard across all 20 drivers. Two sets of the hard, three sets of the medium, and eight sets of the soft compound, whereas last year, I think most of them went for like, I think they went for like 10 sets of the soft compound. That's not the case this year. Everybody's got the same allocation. So again, that's going to make it really interesting for um, the drivers and particularly engineers to work out what is going to be the best way to get into qualifying Q3 session, I mean, uh, and also as far as do we do a one-stopper or do we, do, we, do we have to look at a two-stopper? And I think you're going to see two-stoppers. I can't see how they're going to get away with doing a one-stopper when we've gone one step softer on these tyres. Uh, last year, the top three were all one-stoppers. In fact, seven out of the top ten were all uh, one-stoppers. Um, they all started on the soft and then went across to the medium. And, of course, this year, that soft is the medium and da-da-da. Uh, in fact, the only ones who didn't were Albon and Kvyat, but they started outside the top 10. And I'm talking about those who finished inside the top 10. They were the only ones who started on medium um, who managed to finish in the top 10. But they did start uh, 17th and 19th, respectively. It was probably Albon's best um, uh, best race of last year, if I'm very honest. Uh, it was almost bettered by uh, the result that he possibly could have got if he hadn't been punted by Lewis Hamilton in Brazil. But to come from 17th and to plonk at 5th was uh, absolutely incredible. It probably really should have been 6th because don't forget there was that heartbreaking moment for Lando Norris and talking of best results of the season, that would have been his as well. And he broke down on the last lap and not only on the last lap, but right on the finish line on the last lap. So uh, he ended uh, ended up outside the top 10. Uh, it always throws up something, doesn't it, Spa? It's such a, a great Grand Prix. But uh, yeah, great races for Albon. He'd dearly love to be able to repeat that here this weekend. And often he's been starting outside the top 10, although last weekend, as we reviewed just a little bit earlier, he did a pretty good job to get inside the top 10 this time around, but needs to turn that into better points, I feel. Of course, the race always depends on the weather here. It can be raining at one end of the circuit. It can be dry at the other. Track temperature tends to be pretty low, 30, 30 degrees was the track temperature last year. Expecting rain, the latest forecast that I saw said it was going to be uh, raining at some point. So maybe we'll see less of the slicks and more of the intermediates and the wet compounds. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, but 
if they do get out onto those dry tyres, expect a lot of running, particularly on Friday, uh, to work out, get that data collection, because these tyres, one set of those tyres, those C4s, um, those red soft compounds, haven't been run here before. And as I was saying, it is a, uh, a circuit that puts a lot of stress on tyres. So that uh, is going to be critical. That is going to be key. Now, some other sort of news to tell you about uh, is that um, the, the quali modes that everybody uh, talks about with regard to Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, the party mode, as they like to call it, that has uh, that, there's a ban on that coming up, and it was supposed to kick in this weekend. That's now not the case. That is kicking in in Monza. So next weekend, there'll be no more party mode, no more quali mode for engines. Uh, the FIA decided to give the engine manufacturers an extra week, a little bit more time um, to do some dyno testing with regards to all that. So that ban on quali mode or the party mode has been put back to next weekend. And the other thing is that uh, Esteban Ocon has been given a new engine and gearbox for this weekend, and he's hoping that will turn his fortunes around. We were talking about how great the reliability this year has been for Renault. Uh, I think just a second engine this time for Ocon, and we know that Carlos Sainz took a, a new engine, which is all a part of um, his allocation. He won't be he didn't get any uh, penalty last week, and Ocon won't get one this week either. It's all within um, the engine allocation that they've got. But they've been very good, haven't they, uh, Renault, with their reliability this year? They've actually, I think, probably been best on the grid, um, ahead of the likes of uh, Merck and Ferrari as well. And it's going to be a tough weekend for the Ferrari runners, isn't it? They are massively down on power. This is a power-sensitive circuit. They don't have what they had last year. Whatever the trick that they had working last year with regards to their engine is certainly not on the car or not working now. That little agreement between the seasons between uh, Ferrari and the FIA has put paid to that massive engine advantage. Or so I shouldn't say massive, but it was definite power advantage at power-sensitive circuits, and that's not the case this year. And you look at how Ferrari is struggling. They've got a very draggy car, and I'm sure they were thinking when they were designing that, remember, F1 cars get you know into uh, the design process starts in you know April or May the previous year, and they're thinking they've got this power advantage with the engine. They can make their car a bit draggier and and make up for that with a more powerful engine, and that's now been taken away from them. So that's uh, no doubt a, a a part of the reason why they are struggling for you know uh, results this year. But uh, yeah, you know that's um it's going to be an interesting race. Hamilton is the man to beat, of course. Once again, Bottas can he mentally recover? He's had an extra week to be able to do that. After the disappointment at the Spanish Grand Prix, Max Verstappen will be on it. He needs support from Alexander Albon if they're going to really uh, sort of work out or start to sort of formulate how they can beat Mercedes. I think it's unlikely it's going to happen this year, but possibly next year. But they need to have two cars in that battle, as we were talking about before with Ferrari in the past years where they haven't had that. Red Bull have got to get that together, and that means Albon getting on top of the woes that he's got or the problems that he's got getting the best out of that car. And yeah, the midfield is going to tighten up. I think Renault and McLaren are going to be better at these uh, high-speed circuits. The low downforce, the high-speed uh, corners uh, are much better for those two teams. So that midfield is going to tighten up. The battle between uh, the teammates Ocon and Checo Perez is also going to be interesting. Perez saying late last week that he's going nowhere as far as what's happening next year with Aston Martin. Uh, Lance's dad owns the team, of course, and then you've got Sebastian Vettel. And look, I, I was going to touch on that a little bit earlier when we were talking about Sebastian Vettel, and I did forget. What is interesting with Sebastian Vettel is that, you know, a four-time world champion, he's a great driver. He knows how to get the best out of the car. He, he's, um, I think he mentally he's, he, he took a hit 
um, probably around the time of Baku when he hit and bashed tyres with, with Lewis Hamilton. And then 2018, we were talking about that earlier. But what I think the problem for Aston Martin is that they need someone, a name, when they're coming into the sport, they need a name to market their cars. And that is definitely Sebastian Vettel, particularly in an Aston Martin. He's got the character, good character for that. You know, he's got a great sense of humour and, and, you know, he interviews well, uh, he's engaging. And it's not to say that Lance Stroll and, and, and Checo Perez don't do a good job with that, but I think, you know, Vettel is better at it and he's just as, well, he's certainly a better driver than both of them. But of course, the downside is that, you know, at the moment, Vettel's not in a great headspace. What do you do? Lance Stroll's performing well. He really is. You can't say that uh, last uh, round in Spain, he didn't uh, he, he didn't put in a great performance. He certainly did. And of course, lots of money and, and a good racing performance. He's had plenty of podiums as well as Checo Perez. And Lance Stroll has as well, an unexpected one in Baku with Williams. But, um, you know, it's, it's a real tough decision. But I get the feeling that uh, he won't have a drive next year, Sebastian Vettel. But yeah, anyway, that battle between the racing points is going to be really interesting. And then, of course, as you go further down the grid, it'd be great to see Williams to get back up there. But if they've got a draggy car, which is what we've heard they do have, it's going to be a real struggle for them here this weekend, even though they've got the best engine in the back of that uh, that Williams. And, of course, that was the other news uh, from uh, the last week that they have now been sold. What a tough decision that must have been for Claire and Frank to sell the team, you know, the last of the independents, um, you know, that it's it's been their team for, from its inception. Um, but the great thing is that the team survives and the name survives. And I think that's really critical, is that that Williams name stays in Formula 1. It's a heritage team. It's one of the most successful teams on the grid alongside Ferrari and McLaren. It should be there. It needs to be there. But what a tough decision it had to have been for them to say, listen, we just can't keep swimming with this anymore. We're, we're going to have to get some help. And um, I, I really hope that that turns it around for them and they start to head you know, more northerly in their results, uh, not just on the track, but overall within the season as well, because they're a great team out at Grove. So there we go. That is the first ever Pitbox podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any feedback, uh, positive or negative, be kind, of course. I, I have no problem at all with a critique. Tell me what you thought, what you liked, what I could do better. More than happy to hear that. And the way to do that is, there's two ways. You can either email, which is pitboxpodcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter. The Twitter handle is pitboxpodcast. Uh, give us a follow as well. But as I say, if uh, there is something that you'd like to, uh, to add, and you never know, in the future we may even open this up and get a few people to come on and have a chat, whether they be people from within the sport or just outright fans. You know, give yourself a voice, have a bit of a chat. All up for that. Uh, but anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the first ever Pitbox podcast. Look forward to your company when we do it again next week. Have yourself a great weekend. <laughs>